Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Habits of Grace. In this series, we look at four ways given by God so that Christians can enjoy Jesus through the spiritual disciplines, receive His grace, and experience the joy of a growing relationship with Jesus. Today's text is going to just be one verse. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts 2, 42. And it'll be up here on the screen. I'll be talking out of the New International Version or teaching out of it this morning. Acts 2, 42. Hear the word of your gracious Father. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. One of the things the uh, elders often do in our meetings is kind of discuss where we're at as a congregation and what we think God is speaking to us and what we need to be doing. And we were discussing um, the question recently of, uh, you know, what were some things that we thought needed to be talked about regularly, consistently? And as we had the discussion and went back and forth, one of the things that came up a lot that we heard from individuals in the congregation that we were also um, just sensed ourselves was this idea of how we walk with Jesus, what the habits of grace are, um, and the basics of walking with him. What, what does that mean? How do you do that? And so I was reading a book, actually, I had already received that I had seen the title, and the title struck me. It was called Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines. And so we kind of decided we're going to just take a little bit of time here. and We're actually going to do a short five-week series on this that will carry us up until our major series in the fall. Uh, we're going to be doing a series called Mission Possible uh, in the fall that we're working on and we're really excited about. But this is going to be a, a five-week series in the, in the meantime where we're going to talk through the habits of grace. And I'm going to describe what that means in just a couple of minutes. So let's dive into our text. This is kind of an introductory teaching, and then they'll be expanded out each of the next several weeks. Um, now, first thing is understanding the habits of grace. When I'm using that term here, and I'm going to show you how it referen is referenced in Acts 2.42, the habits of grace, if I were going to define it, it's this way. The habits of grace, which are sometimes called the means of grace or the spiritual disciplines, are those activities given by God so that we might receive his grace, grow closer to him, and experience the joy of knowing Jesus more. So we're using this phrase, habits of grace, in this series, and I really like it. They're more often have been called the spiritual disciplines or more accurately, the means of grace, the ways we receive grace. But what we're talking about is that God has graciously given us certain things that as we participate in these with him, we receive his grace, we grow closer to God as we're doing those activities, if we're doing them in faith, and we experience the joy of knowing Jesus better. And we're going to focus on that last phrase a lot. And so um, you've probably heard things about this, and again, you know, spiritual disciplines. I prefer means of grace because the focus is always on God's grace. Spiritual disciplines can have the focus of it becoming this disciplined thing that I do. 
And that's not what this is about. And we want to be clear as we begin the series, this is not a, we're going to make everybody feel really, really guilty about not reading the Bible enough and not praying enough. That's not the goal or the point at all. Uh, the point, in fact, is about God's grace. And that's why Habits of Grace caught my eye, because it catches both the idea of a consistency, but also a focus on grace. It stresses both God's grace and regular practice. And so, what we're going to be looking at in this little mini-series here is the ways that God has given us where we regularly receive his grace. And it's important to understand we don't force God's grace. I can't make God give grace to me. That would, that would undermine the very notion of what grace is. But God does tell us in the scripture where his grace can be found. In other words, he tells us, if you are engaged in these practices, you will regularly be meeting me. You will be walking with me. You will be growing in your relationship with me. And in the book, Habits of Grace, which we're not going to quote a lot, but the author, David Mathis, wrote this following statement that I think was really, really good to explain what we're talking about when we say Habits of Grace. He says, I can flip a switch, but I don't provide the electricity. I can turn on a faucet, but I don't make the water flow. There will be no light and no liquid refreshment without someone else providing it. And so it is uh, for the Christian with the ongoing grace of God. His grace is essential for our spiritual lives, but we don't control the supply. We can't make the favor of God flow, but he has given us circuits to connect and pipes to open expectantly. There are paths along which he has promised his favor. And so this isn't about it. We're going to say this over and over again. This isn't about having a spiritual to-do list and checking them off. It's not that I do this and therefore God has to respond. No, this is God's gracious covenant promise saying, this is how I promise to meet you, my children. And if you are regularly engaged in these activities, you can expect to meet me, to receive my grace fresh and new, to know me better, and the resultant joy that comes from receiving my grace and knowing me better. And the goal, I, I want to say in all of this, is experiencing the joy of knowing Jesus. That's a very important thing, uh, which is why in the title of the book it was Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines. At the center of it all, is enjoying Jesus. If you're doing things, and I'm doing things, and we're being very rigorous and disciplined and nice religious people and checking them off, but I'm not coming to know Jesus more, and it's not producing the joy of Jesus in my life, something is terribly wrong. This is not about just doing certain things for the sake of doing them. It's doing it so that I might know Jesus more. We can fall into ruts uh, matter of fact, I'll even give an example. I remember years ago, I knew my, uh, my wife does like to occasionally receive flowers. And I was giving her flowers, and I was stopping fairly regularly in doing this. And one day it became apparent it was, it was not accomplishing much. She was not responding to it. And I said, I, what's up? I thought you like flowers. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I had it down on a list, and every, like, every other week I was buying her some flowers. And she said, well... It's just that every time it's a rose with fern and baby's breath, and it's pretty clear there's like no thought going into this, you're not doing anything, which was actually true. I was doing a discipline, buy the white flowers, check, done. 
And Linda was saying, but the goal isn't just buying me flowers. The goal is you're trying to express love to me and you're showing me that you love and care for me, but this is coming across like there's no thought going into this at all. You're just going through the motions. Has anybody ever done that with Bible reading or prayer or coming to church? See, and that's not the goal. The goal's not saying, hey, bought flower for the wife. The goal is expressing my love to my wife. The goal is not just saying, did certain activities, now I can move on with life. The goal is saying, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him better and really desperately fall in love with him and enjoy him and have overflowing joy. That's what we're talking about. So let's look and see, is this what we find in the scripture actually? Well, we do because the apostolic church is actually defined by practicing the habits of grace. So a lot of people say, we want to get back and be like a New Testament church. Well, if you want to see a New Testament church, this is the best verse I know in all of Scripture to say, this is what life was like in the New Testament church. It's Acts 2.42. And notice we're told they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, this uh, passage, this verse, is really, really important in the book of Acts. If you're aware, whenever you're reading a piece of literature, including the Scripture, there are certain passages that are more important than others. They are crystallizing what's trying to be communicated. Well, that's what's going on here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Throughout the book of Acts, Luke's got several different panels or um, things that he is speaking and showing where he will kind of summarize and say, and here's how the church grew. Here's how the gospel was spreading. And he's giving a sign that, that things are really going. There's another one, Acts 6, 7, where we're told the word of God is spreading rapidly. And he's got a number of these. Well, this is the first one. And it's also the most detailed of them. And it kind of sets the pattern for everything else. Luke here is saying, okay, it's the day of Pentecost. A bunch of people have just become believers. There were 3,000 people baptized. What, what did life in the early church look like? What did that mean? And Luke tells us here in Acts 2, 42 through 47, but especially verse 42, he shows life in the early church. This verse describes what their meeting looked like. Okay, If you want to know what an early church meeting looked like, you gather there was teaching, there was fellowship, there was breaking of bread, which is Luke's way of referring to the Lord's Supper, and there was prayer. Does that sound at all familiar? That's the pattern, and that's what we're called to do. We, in fact, I would argue, we're not free to alter from that pattern. All kinds of people want to add lots of other stuff in. This is the pattern for what a church gathering should look like. It's also the pattern for us to follow individually. If you want to know how you grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus, well, Luke is saying, this is what it looks like to be a believer in the new covenant. This is immediately what the people began to do and how they began to live. And so the regular habit here of four of the means of grace. And notice the reason that we say habit is he doesn't just say that they occasionally did these. He says they were devoted to these things. It's their regular practice. It's not just occasional. It's not hit or miss. There is a devotion to doing these particular things. And the four habits of grace are the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God, the apostles' teaching or apostles' doctrine. The, the word means the same thing, which is the word of God, fellowship, which in particular is talking about them being gathered for worship, but it includes them sharing life as Luke teases it out in the next verses. 
the breaking of bread, which again is Luke's way of speaking of the Lord's Supper. He's not just talking about they had meals. Well, of course they had meals. All human beings eat meals. He's talking about breaking of bread, which is the Lord's Supper. And you can see that throughout uh, his writings. And then prayer, which is crying out to God both alone and together. And so we're going to go over these four habits in the coming weeks and talk about them. Now, we're going to do one thing that's going to be a little bit different for you all, which is I'm doing this introductory teaching, but then actually the next three are going to be done by different guys. So next week, Ryan Jackson is going to be standing up and teaching on the Word of God. Some of you may uh, not be aware, but Ryan is here actually. He's training to be a chaplain in the future. And so he is in the Navy. He shocked me 10 days ago by I saw him in uniform for the first time. So I could verify he is actually in the Navy because I had never seen him in uniform before, even during the workday. So, uh, so he, he's in uniform. He's, he's training to be a chaplain. He's going to be speaking to us on the word, which is hearing God's voice. The next week, Jer is going to be speaking on prayer, which is having God's ear, that we actually are given the privilege of talking to God, and he listens it's not just a activity, but God actually listens to us when we pray. The next week, uh, Scott is going to be talking on fellowship, belonging to God's body. Not just that we hang out somewhere, but we have the privilege of doing what we're doing right now, which is gathering as a church, being part of the body together and worshiping God together. And then I'm going to conclude, which was not actually one of the ones he discussed in the book, on the Lord's table, which is being fed by God's hand. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to be working through this, and we hope it's going to help us grow in our practice of these habits of grace. And again, I want to encourage you, we're not doing this to make us feel guilty. Not, not the point. Not, uh, you know, bang you over the head. It's to say, these are ways, if you want to experience the joy of Jesus then if you're hanging out at this spot, you're going to be finding Jesus. If you are there, he's going to interact with you, and there is real joy to be found. And that leads to my next point, which is the goal, again, in all of this, is actually enjoying Jesus. The habits of grace are enjoying Jesus through spiritual discipline. The goal is not doing activities. The goal is enjoying him. We only receive grace and joy as we're seeking to know him. Again, not just, well, I checked it off. I did this thing. The point in all of this is, how do I actually know him? The Christian life should be characterized by the joy of an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. Let me say that again. The Christian life should be characterized by the joy of an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. So it doesn't matter if I've been a believer for 10 minutes or if I've been a believer for 10 months, or 10 years, or 80 years, my relationship with Jesus should be growing deeper and deeper and deeper, and that should be producing more and more unshakable joy in my life. And in fact, if you notice, this is the result in Acts chapter 2. We're not just saying that, saying, well, let's leave Acts 2. If you look at the following verses from Acts 2.42, you see a description of a community experiencing the deep joy of knowing Jesus. Luke summarizes it this way in verses 43 to 47. So he said, they're devoted to those four things. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. 
all the believers were together and they had everything in common. That's a strong reference to fellowship. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, when I read that description there, that is a description of a joy-filled, blessed church. And this is Luke's first description of the church. Notice they're growing in their knowledge and they're growing in their practice of the Christian faith. They're willing to sell things and give to others. They are experiencing the life of Jesus in their midst. They're drawing deeper and closer to God, and as a result, they're drawing deeper and closer to one another. And make no mistake, all of this flows from verse 42. People read this, and we like this and say, I want that, but can I skip the verse 42 habits of grace thing? And the answer is, no, you can't. You can't get the results without participating in what produces the results. It's like saying, I would like to walk out uh, in fall and get a harvest, but I don't want to do that thing of breaking up the ground and planting the seeds in the spring and then pulling weeds. I, I don't want to do that. I just want the harvest. Well, I can go ahead and tell you, you need another universe because God didn't make this universe to operate that way. And the same thing is true here. If we want to reap the harvest of a joy-filled life individually and corporately, like we read here in verses 43 to 47, that is built on verse 42, the habits of grace. And this goal of the joy of Jesus being in our midst is reiterated over and over and over again in the New Testament. I'm just going to run through a few verses here briefly. Uh, Acts 13:52. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is another one of those summaries that Luke gives, right? Like I said, I think there are six of them in the book. And it's the previous verse is, by the way, there's been huge persecution going on. I think this is where Paul actually gets stoned, okay? Terrible persecution, but Luke's summary is the disciples are filled with joy and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the goal the joy of knowing Jesus as we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we draw closer to him, there is an overflowing joy and it does not matter what's going on around us, okay? This is tough time for the church. Not that they didn't like what was going on politically or different things that we might fret about. This is like there is active, harsh persecution, people being put in jail, guys being stoned, and they still have joy in the midst of it because they're filled with the Holy Spirit there, which the first time we read of the filling of the Spirit is what leads into verse 42. As you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you practice the habits of grace, and as you do, there is great joy. Another passage in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 19, we'll do a couple of different authors. This is Paul speaking, and Paul says this is what he prays for the Ephesian believers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. But why is he praying that? So that you may know him better. That's the goal. I'm not just praying that you get the spirit. I'm praying that it's so that you will know him better. I pray that also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us 
who believe. And I could show you the same type of prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. We could look at the same prayer in many of the beginning of his letters. They sound very similar to this. And the point is this. I want you to to have the Holy Spirit so at work in you as you are walking with God, I want you to know Jesus better. And I want you to know the hope that you have, the riches that God has given to you, the glorious inheritance that awaits you, and the power of God that resides within you. And if you understand those things that Paul's praying for, do you think that would produce joy in our life? Yes? Yes, it does. That changes and transforms who we are. But that's why we're doing these habits of grace. That's why we're walking through so that we can experience the hope, the riches, the power of God in us. 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 8. Peter actually preaches this. And this was, this was Jonathan Edwards' uh, text in part of the Great Awakening. He preached this for a long time. Uh, they've actually turned it into a... Uh, uh, a book-length thing now where they gathered a bunch of his sermons, but they were all based on this verse in 1 Peter 1.8. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This is our age in which we believe. We don't see Jesus now. But Peter says you can still love him. And he says that because you believe and even though you don't see him now, because you're believing in him, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This relates back to what we were talking about last week where there is suffering now, but there's glory to come. God graciously, as we walk with him, gives us a foretaste of what is coming. It'll never be the full thing of what we're getting until that day when we stand before him. But in the meantime, God is saying, I want you to experience joy that is so good, it is inexpressible. You can't even get it all out, and it is glorious. It is filled with the glory of God. That is always the goal of what we're talking about. Not just doing certain things, but saying, I want to know Jesus and this being the overflow in my life. One last passage in 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. So this is the next chapter. He's been speaking about the word of God that was preached to them. And then he says in verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Most of us have seen a newborn, right? Do you have to lecture a newborn to want to eat? No. In fact, how often do they want to eat? And all the young moms say, way too often, right? Especially in the middle of the night. Like every time you turn around, they're wanting to eat again. Peter takes that analogy and says, this is the way you're supposed to be. And notice, he doesn't say, well, this applies for the first year or two of your Christian life. You are always to be like a newborn babe in this. You should be craving pure spiritual milk. He's obviously using an analogy here, and he's saying, but this is based on the fact that you've tasted that the Lord is good. When you have tasted that God is good, it should increase your hunger for him so that I should long to know God more and have a greater desire for God today than I did back in 1979, a year after I got saved. Because I've had more experience of tasting that God is good. I've had more experience of knowing him. And the more I've known him and the more that there's this inexpressible joy, Peter is saying, that ought to just keep you hungry. That keeps you coming back. And that is always the goal. And so what we're talking about here is 
practicing the habits of grace to get a fresh taste of God's grace and to grow closer to Jesus, which results in an inexpressible, glorious joy. That's the goal, and that's what we're, we're, we're striving for. Now, throughout the series, and I'm going to turn to applying the word now, we're going to really try to stress practical application, okay? Because we're not wanting this. This isn't a be-all, end-all on these topics, but we want to be very, very practical. If we find joy by knowing Jesus, and we know Jesus by walking in these habits of grace, then how do we do that? So um, it's, it's important. That the first thing I want to say today that's very practical is it's critical that we approach this in the right manner. I've talked a lot today about this goal of enjoying Jesus. And the reason I'm doing that is you cannot practice this or approach it in legalistic mode. Habits of grace means it's about grace from beginning to end. You and I are saved because of the grace of God. We are growing in our relationship with him because of the grace of God. We are only able to hear from him in the word and, and talk to him in prayer and fellowship and the Lord's Supper because of the grace of God. And what we're receiving as a result of those things is the grace of God. So this is grace from beginning to end, which might be a clue to you and I that if I then try and approach it in a law-based legalistic manner, it's not going to work because the whole thing is about the grace of God. And so we are, th this is a cycle of grace is how I would like you to think about it. I've received the grace of God. That's how my salvation has worked. And as I walk in these habits of grace, I'm receiving more grace. So our attitude is absolutely critical. And the attitude there is remembering the goal. We are knowing uh, the joy of knowing Jesus. Let me give you another uh, story. Since my daughter's not here, I can use one with her. When Stephanie was like five, we had her in a soccer league. And let's just say my daughter was not the most athletic and most enjoying soccer. So I would have to make a deal with her. I would say, listen, princess, daddy wants you to kick the ball. And she would say, how many times? I'd say, why don't you kick the ball five times for daddy? And what she would do is the ball would run out, and Stephanie would run out, and she would kick it. And then she wouldn't chase the ball. She'd look at me, and she'd go, one. <laughs> okay, can I point out, that's not really having a, a passion for soccer. That's just feeling the thing. That was one dad has two. And then when she would hit five, it was kind of like done. Uh, we actually have a video of her coach looking. She, play, she was playing goalie and they came, or right in front of the goal, and they came right by her. And the coach was trying to talk to her, and he was waving in front of her face because she was kind of off in the ether somewhere. Uh, she was not a ball of fire when it came to soccer. Well, we're not. The goal here is not doing something and looking to Jesus and saying, that's one. Okay, that's two. I did the word and I did prayer. I'm good to go. The goal is I want you, and I'm going to chase you down wherever you are, not counting how many times. It's okay to do with a five-year-old kid playing a sport and do that, but if we're approaching walking with Jesus that way, we've got it completely wrong. What your soul is thirsting and hungering for and what mine is is more of Jesus, and what we're talking about here is how we find that. You and I dupe ourselves into thinking that the world can slake our thirst and fill our hunger when only Jesus can. You're not going to get it somewhere else or through something else. And so what we're talking about here is how we grow closer to Jesus. And in fact, this is an unusual thing that the more we feast upon Jesus, the hungrier for him we become. And the less hungry we become 
for other things. As we know and feed upon him, joy fills our soul. And so throughout this, our attitude, please keep this before you, is about joy, not about guilt. And I'm stressing this because how many of you have sat through teaching series on, say, prayer, and the end result was I feel guilty because I never pray enough? I mean, it's easy for me to do that, right? Pray without ceasing. Who in here is doing that? I take it no one? Okay. What's wrong with you all? Right? It's easy to preach that way. It, it really is. But that's not the point. The point is there is joy. You get to talk to God, and he listens. And so as much as you want, talk to him. That's the focus. That's the attitude we want to approach. And if we go the other way, it becomes a drudgery. And I will guarantee you after a few weeks, we start dropping off. And then we feel guilty, and we're not growing, and there's not joy. That's the whole wrong approach. Second thing in applying the word is just some practical tips. Practical tips. Number one, I want to encourage you as we're going through this throughout the series, and you're going to be hearing different things, but start small and grow. Start small and grow. Don't try to become a spiritual giant. Okay, you read some biography and some guy, you know, woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and spent three hours in the Word and in prayer. Okay, maybe. Maybe he did do that. Um, but if that's what you're going to start with, it's not going to work. Okay, it's absolutely not going to work. Uh, you you got to think about this. And when we were talking about getting ready for the series, we're, we're kind of doing a, uh, in running, they've got things, you, you know, that I've, trained and running for years, and I used to train for marathons, and there were, there were marathon training plans. But if you've been a couch potato for the last three years, and I give you a marathon training plan, you're going to get extremely hurt in the first couple of days, and then that's going to be the end of that training plan. So they have things called couch to 5K, going from a couch potato to a 5K run, a three-mile run. That's more of what we're talking about here. Okay, because the reality is there's a number of us sitting in here that struggle to regularly practice the habits of grace. And so we want to start small and grow. Uh, so if you're struggling with this, just try and get five to 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes on weekdays and say, I am going to faithfully get up and spend time with Jesus. And that means keeping everything simple. Again, you can always find, because in every discipline, it's the way. When I started running, I could find these convoluted, complex plans that it was like, I don't even think if I was independently wealthy and didn't have a job, I could keep up with this, much less I'm just trying to fit this into a busy schedule. How about something that's not for professional runners here? Well, it's the same way, okay? I'm going to get a lot of time in the Word this week because it's what you all pay me to do. But the rest of you have other jobs, and we got people with little kids we're chasing around. We want to keep it simple and start small. Now, as you're doing that, the second thing I'd say is not only start small and grow, but number two, have a plan. When and what. So as you're hearing each week, don't just go home and say, I'm going to spend more time in the Word. What does that mean? When am I going to get into the Word every day, and what exactly am I going to do? So when... Set time that you have every day that is free. Now, I'm not saying, notice I'm not saying do it first thing in the morning. I tend to like first thing in the morning because I'm a person who tends to wake up early and have energy when I wake up early. And if I try to do this at 10 o'clock at night, it's not really going to work well because hardly anybody keeps me awake at 10 o'clock at night most nights. That's just the way I am. So for me, early morning works better. For some people, it may be different. But everybody has a time that you can say, 
I pretty much have this time free. When I used to work um, a distance away back when I was a computer programmer, I got up at 4.30 in the morning to go to work. Now, I historically had woken up and done quiet times and prayer time before that, but I realized, okay, now I'm going to have to get up at 3.30 in the morning if I want to do a quiet time and a prayer time, and uh, I'm not spiritual enough to do that. So what I did was I said, you know what? When I got on Highway 50 at like 5.05 in the morning, amazingly enough, there were not a lot of people on Route 50 at 5.05 in the morning, but I had this amazing thing back then called cassette tapes. Parents, explain it to your children. But... I had the scripture on cassette, and I popped it in and listened to the word of God for like 15 minutes. And then I would latch on to something out of that, and then for like the next 15 to 20 minutes while I was commuting, I had things I prayed for every day. And I usually prayed something regarding what I just read. I'm doing the same thing right now. I'm reading the book of Psalms right now. So each morning I read a Psalm. So uh, yesterday was Psalm 23. I do something different on Sundays, but yesterday was Psalm 23. And so as I read Psalm 23, I then pray that for the, the people and things that I'm praying for, that they would know the Lord as their shepherd. The day before that, it was Psalm 22. So I was praying for people. If they're going through a tough time, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, speak to them so that they know you the way the psalmist does at the end. But I just used the commute back then because that was a free time. There was nobody talking to me. This was before cell phones, and I don't expect many people are going to call me at 5.15 in the morning anyway. It was a set free time to get in, and I knew I had it every single day. So the only thing then was I just had to choose to push in a cassette instead of clicking on talk radio. That was, that was what was required was pushing the cassette rather than talk radio. So it may be during that time where you can just listen to scripture, some worship, music, and pray. But I want to encourage you, when's the time? Plan it. Related to that, there is a simple time when you can come and participate in the habits of grace, and that's called every Sunday morning. Here's an amazing thing. Guess what will be happening next Sunday at 10 a.m.? We'll be right here, same time, same bat channel. We'll be gathering for worship. And I can choose to come and gather, or I can choose that it's the first cool day we've had in a while, and it looks really... And when I'm doing that, what I'm doing is I'm choosing to not participate with Jesus. This isn't about guilt. It's saying I'm, I'm missing out on an opportunity because Jesus is going to be with us as we gather. So have a plan when, and then have a plan what. What are you going to read? What are you going to pray? You can use a, a, a devotional guide, have a Bible book. Uh, I recommend if you don't know what else and you've got a smartphone, look up version, Y-O-U version. They have got hundreds of devotionals. And you can just pick different ones and go through them. They'll give you different scriptures to read or sometimes it's a devotional guide and reading. You can pick whichever one you want. But here's what happens. If you wake up and you say, my time is at 5.45 in the morning and then you get there and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to make a prediction. You're going to do nothing is what you're going to do. If you don't know what is it, that's why the church typically picked reading cycles to go through. It made it easy for everybody. You just knew what you were reading because it was already a preset thing. So you can use one of those. I actually like to listen to the word being read to me. So tomorrow morning, I will be having Psalm 24, and I usually click on it and just let somebody read it to me. And sometimes, depending on the length of the Psalm, I'll do it a couple of times because it's just something different. I'm always reading scripture and studying and taking my, I just like to hear somebody else read it to me when I'm doing my devotions. But um, I encourage you, whichever thing it is, know what it is you're going to do and 
pray, as I said a minute ago, use that when you read Scripture, pray what you just read. Whatever it is, if, it's, if you're reading John 15 and Jesus is saying he's the vine and you're praying for your spouse, then pray they would stay close into the vine and that God would give them life today and that God would bear fruit in their life. Whatever it is you're reading, turn that into your prayer. It's a very simple thing to help you keep praying for them. Uh, have a simple prayer list. You should know who it is you are praying for. And for most of us, that's pretty simple. I actually try because of my calling. I pray for every uh, teenager and above in this congregation. I have an app on my phone that rotates you all through. So I'm not going to pick who I'm going to be praying for in the coming days. I'm just going to click on it and it's going to bring up a list. Linda's on it every day. My family cycles through more often and then I just pray through the congregation and different ministries and also different things that are going on. But then I'm not sitting there spinning my wheel saying, what am I praying for? tells me. It makes it simple and easy. And uh, I encourage also just using worship music to kind of get you in the mood. So all of that's a simple tip. Um, and what you also should do, one last thing on the, the when and what, is I encourage changing it up. One of the reasons habits of grace turn into rote disciplines is, by gosh, I'm trying to do the same thing. Every year I have read the Bible through and every year I get in Leviticus and I really, really struggle, then here's a clue, do something else. If that's not being encouraging to you, do something else. I'm reading and praying through Psalms right now. Before that, I was doing 1 Thessalonians. Sometimes I do scripture memory. I just pull out the verses that I've memorized before and I work through those. Sometimes I read Greek or Hebrew. Uh, sometimes I use a devotional guide. I change mine up consistently. When I hit the point where I start saying, I really, day after day after day, am not feeling this. I'm not enjoying this. Then it's time to change, okay? Don't be afraid, but go to a different plan. Pick something else different to do because the point isn't, one, I did it, Jesus. I read my three chapters today. I got nothing out of it. <laughs> I didn't seek you. I'm no closer to you, but I did it. That's not the goal. The goal is I want to know him. Better to read three verses then read three chapters and get nothing out of it. Pick whatever is bringing life to you. And last thing, if you need help, get an accountability partner. If you're married, there's an easy person to ask. Or get somebody else and say, would you just ask me once a week how I've been doing about being in the Word? Or would you ask me how I've been doing about praying? I just want you to kind of hold me accountable. It is a major source of help. Now, if you're really good at it, you may not particularly need that. It depends on your personality type. I generally don't need like training partners and accountability partners. I'm the kind of person that just says, well, I wake up and this is what I go through and this is what I do. But if you are somebody who needs one, then get somebody. Ask somebody, would you please hold me accountable and go through and help me to do this? And it will help everybody when you're in a tough spot. And are there tough spots? Think about it in every relationship you have in life. Okay, don't raise your hand on this because then I'll be doing a lot of marriage counseling. But do any of you ever have periods of time where your relationship with your spouse is just not as emotionally close as it was before? That's called life, okay? Your friendships are that way. They have ups and downs. I like running. There are periods of time where I'll go for weeks and every morning it's like, I can't believe I gotta run again. I just, I'm sick of doing this. That doesn't mean that I don't like running. It just means for whatever reason, that's the way I'm feeling right now. 
We don't freak out when we have that happen in our relationship with Jesus. It's the same as every other area of life. And sometimes having somebody who kind of holds me accountable helps me through that. Because what I don't want to do is stop. If I stop, then I never get through the rough spot because I just simply stopped. Now, we're going to come down here to the Lord's table because I want to conclude by reminding us that this is grace. So we're going to practice one of our habits of grace now. And this is the kind of thing where for years, to be honest, I approached the Lord's table and I didn't understand it very well. And I just did it because I was kind of supposed to do it. We're supposed to do this. So we have a little juice and crackers. We used to use crackers back then. And one, Jesus, I I did it, what you told me to do. And I got nothing out of it week after week after week. This is now one of my favorite ones of the habits of grace because I now know it's not just about doing a ritual. Jesus has said he meets us and he feeds us. And when something like that happens, I don't always feel it in the moment, but it does not mean that God's not at work and that he's not meeting us and speaking to us and encouraging us. And this table is a table of grace. And so it's a good place for us to remember and focus. Who in here has a right to this table? None of us. But who does Jesus call to this table? All of us who are his people. If if you are here and you recognize that the very things we sang in the the new song this morning, the I believe, that I, I believe I was a sinner, I was fallen, but Jesus has come, he's lived for me, I believe he's raised, I believe he's at the right hand of the Father, I believe he's gonna come again, I believe the gospel, and it's my only hope. If we believe what we sang in Rock of Ages, cleft for me, that this is the only hope I have, I, I am naked apart from the righteousness that Jesus gives me, then Jesus says, though you don't deserve it, come to this table, and I promise I will meet you here and it's a, just a foretaste. It's a reflection of that day when we're going to sit down together and I'm going to feed you with my own hand. And it's what our soul longs for. And so I want to encourage you this morning to come here. If we have sin, it's a great time to confess. And it's a great time to recognize that we, unlike what, what many people do in the world, you know, to get rid of our sin, I've got to go flog myself and punish myself. and do it. We don't have to do any of that. We simply come and we receive the grace of God. And so, and if it's been a good week and I don't don't feel like I've got any sin that I need to confess, then we come and we say, Lord Jesus, I'm recognizing you are what I need. You are what I long for. And so I cry out for your grace and your presence. And let's ask God today for all of us, increase my hunger for Jesus And show me and remind me when I'm thinking what I want is some mindless activity or to engage in some sin or to do something else, what I'm doing is I'm misreading and mishearing what my soul really, really wants. What it really needs is Jesus. And I don't want to get junk food. I want to be fed by what really comes to my soul. So let's ask God to increase that hunger and thirst for Jesus and to remind us faithfully this week that it's him we need. Um, The ushers are going to come forward. We're going to pass this out. And as we do, we'll hold on to it and then we will take it together. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. 
When he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, this morning as we come to the table that you have so graciously laid out before us, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, that you would minister to us by your Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask that we would not simply go through a ritual, but that as we come to this means of grace, we would be stirred up in our passion for Jesus and we would enjoy him more. We ask this in his name, amen. Again, as you get the elements, let's hold on to them and then we will take them together in just a couple moments. Lord Jesus, as we come to this table this morning, we confess that so often we have failed and so often we have turned and looked to other things to feed our hunger, to slake our thirst. But Lord, we were made for you. And our hearts and our souls are restless until they find rest in you. Our souls hunger until they feed upon you. Our spirits thirst until they drink of you. And so, Lord, we confess that tendency this morning, but we also say, Jesus, we are so grateful that you lived for us and you died for us and you bore our sins on the cross that we might become sons and daughters of the living God, that we might be restored to fellowship, that we might remove the fig leaves that we have tried to make and wear the righteousness that you have freely given to us. Lord, how gracious you are that you sought us when we were running far, far away from you, when we had no desire that you came to us. And Father, that this relationship is not by law, it's not by works, not by what we have done, but it is by your grace. Father, we are so grateful for the grace of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for that this morning. Take and eat. And Jesus, this morning as we hold this cup, we renew our cry to you that we would not drink from other cisterns, but that we would find our fulfillment in you and in you alone. Lord, I pray that here as we are at this table, and you have promised to meet us here. Lord, we're not doing this because of a ritual. I stand amazed that when you gave us a ritual, it's so simple as if you gave it to us so that there was no way we could just latch upon the richness of the ritual itself. Because what matters is not the ritual, but what stands behind it. So Jesus, we are asking this morning that you would not only cleanse us, but that you would renew us. 
and our desire to know you more deeply. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister to each and every one of us and you would stir up that hunger for Jesus, that you would stir up our desire to know him more deeply and that you would renew our minds so that we would know that that's where our joy is found. Father, what a good God you are. All the other gods that we have made, they require endless sacrifice. They require of us drudgery that we might get out from under their wrath. But you alone, O God, bore wrath that we might be free, and you promise us joy now and forever by knowing you. Lord, what an amazing thing your gospel is. And so, Lord, we lift up this cup this morning and we give thanks for your grace and for the joy of knowing Jesus. Take and drink. Holy Spirit, this week I pray that you would be speaking to each of us. And Lord, if there's anyone here who is struggling because of past legalisms, Father, I pray that you would set that free and that tomorrow your Spirit would greet us as we wake or as we're lying down or over lunch or whatever time it is, that your Spirit would be there and would greet us and would say that you long to speak to us and to hear our voice draw us closer to yourself. Father, I pray your deep, deep love would break through to us, and as Paul prayed, we would somehow begin to grasp the height, the depth, and the breadth of the love that you have for us in Christ, your great power, and your great joy that you long to give us. I ask that you would do this for us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's stand together, and we will conclude with a word of benediction. And I encourage you to receive the hope and the joy and the peace of God. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go forth to receive and live in the joy of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.